Welcome to Minority Corner, where we take an introspective look at the world through an intersectional lens. I'm James, he, him. I'm a queer political activist, actor, comedian, self-proclaimed sexy blurred. That's a um, black nerd. And each week, I'm joined in the corner by other fabulous minorities and some allies tackling the news, pop culture, politics, media, entertainment, and history with a little self-care, self-love sprinkled throughout, all for our own personal and collective empowerment. What up, corner kids? Oh my god, well you all are in for such a treat today because sitting in the guest co-host chair, it's my old friend Ashley Nicole Black. She, her, she's been on the pod before, but this time she's coming with uh, some more Emmys than she had when she was first on here. She's a writer, actor, and comedian. Uh, you've seen her on the Emmy Award winning Full Frontal with Samantha B and HBO's A Black lady sketch show and since ashley she works in the world of tv and tv pretty much has raised me and been my saving grace we talk tv specifically we jump into apple tv's ted lasso and i know you're like but what why are we talking about this hold on because first of all ashley is working on the latest the upcoming season and also Brene brown is obsessed with it and she told us that we need to watch it and she's right y'all this has been this show has been such a warm blanket that i have needed so we talk all about that and since ashley and i met in college we talk about deaf you on netflix have you seen it what a golden nugget of reality television chef's kiss woof it's a lot. We unpack. And Ashley has some more tea on the very sad cancellation of Netflix's glow. And then I ask all of the burning questions you were dying to ask, but I'm here. So I'll go ahead and ask Ashley on her working on HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show. Oh, the show is so amazing. And we're so glad to have Ashley here so we can dive into it. Like, what's it like working on a show that's so fubu, especially as a black woman amongst such other amazing black lady talent ah we get into it then ding 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 school is in session as we are going to the ashley nicole black institute for writers as i have dubbed it where ashley is going to answer she's been getting a lot of questions from people during the pandemic about you know wanting to have a creative outlet how do i get started as a writer and she is going to answer the frequently asked questions that she's been getting on writing and y'all this is chock full of so much goodness, so much great advice, so much great inspiration. I mean, she had me by the end of it dusting off my old screenplays and I got to get to work. So thank you to Ashley. Just such great information here in this episode. And then we pay homage to our former UCSC professor and revolutionary activist, Angela Davis, who has been way ahead of the, the game and all so many of her concepts and ideas are now part of the mainstream. And Harvard conducted a study which has concluded the one reason why so many black people are in prison hmm i wonder what it could be what did they spend all this money on for research all right well we've got to jump into it because so much to cover so excited to share this episode with you all chock full of so much inspiration insight and just all around good good it's time to learn laugh and play right here on minority corner let's go
Session of Full Black, welcome back. You know, so much has happened. When you last were here, uh, you had not yet won Emmys, but... <laughs> I was a totally different girl back then. Different girl. Oh, man. You know, I will say the Oscars have never been the same ever since you left New York and you no longer have your Oscar party. Ashley had the best Oscar parties ever in New York, I will say. Well, and the last one was the Moonlight one, which I feel like I have not thrown an Oscar party since because why would I? Like, that was the pinnacle. It was such a traumatic night and experience of us all just being so kerfuffled of like, I think that was the year that Casey Affleck won over Denzel Washington. It was just a very rough night. And everyone was just like putting on their coats yes. like, uh, well, this is over. I guess I'll just go home and be sad. And then uh, La La Land won. is like, oh, oh fuck get this. me out of here. Let me get the- like, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, let me take this pie. I got to get out. What? And we couldn't. I'll never forget. It was so bittersweet. We were just already so beaten and downtrodden that we we couldn't get excited by it because, like, the stress had already been processed through our body. It was just like, yeah. That was, uh... But, you know, everything up before that and the one you threw before that, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Thank you. And I think I, I, held, I held your Emmy. I was going to say I held my first Emmy. Like, I held yours. <laughs> I once had to send, this is the bougiest story. I once had to send um, a PA to my apartment to get something. And um, I was like, have a snack, do whatever you want. I felt so bad. It was like a necessity, but I felt really bad. And then she just sent back like 30 pictures of her holding the Emmy. (laughs) I was like, worth it. Yeah. It's so great. Like, that's like, you're like, mm-hmm, yep, that's exactly. I feel like if any, if you have an award, it's your job to share it with the other, with the people yeah. to build up, like, hold, hold For the it. gram, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So there's, okay, I love, you're, you work in TV, TV raised me, um, let's talk TV. So I feel like I should have known, so I watched a show, like, I feel like I do a pretty good job keeping track of, like, all of the things that you're working on. I'm wearing a full <laughs> frontal hat. Oh, I, I didn't even <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing uh, I started watching Full Frontal because of you and I'm still watching Full Frontal even though you're not there but I'm still getting my news and information and then I got this hat on your final show I we went to go watch the taping and uh, this hat has seen some things it's seen a lot of it's my it was my circuit boy hat for a while when I go to circuit parties because I like to wear a hat so it's seen a lot of shirtless naked men anyways um, the hat has not me I'm listening to <laughs> Brene Brown's podcast and yeah. uh, she has Jason Sudeikis on there and she's like, and she's going hard on like this Ted Lasso show. Which... She loves the show. <laughs> so the... I've never heard such a like, well, also she's a person who practices a lot of gratitude anyway, but yes. I've never heard such a like full bodied love of a TV show before that podcast. Yes. Like she had them come on a whole entire episode devoted to this show and breaking it down and and like just such an in-depth interview and look with her using her work of like shame and be a better human and like be kind to yourself and putting that into the show and I'd seen the trailers and commercials I I love you know Jason Sudeikis you know if I would have remembered or realized I'm not on social media anymore really so I didn't know you were on the show you worked on the show (laughs) I would have been there in a heartbeat and then I'm watching the show and it does not disappoint. It has, I was having a very rough week. And so Ted Lasso is on Apple TV and uh, I was having a very rough week. And the show has just been like, it's been a hug. It's been like the hug 
that I I haven't had because the world is on fire and you can't touch yeah. people. Yeah, and I so it. It was, I was in a weird position because I didn't work on the first season. So on social media, I was like, everyone should watch Ted Lasso because everyone should. I love it. But um, I didn't say like I, because I didn't write on that season. Um, but so I was also weirdly like the first person to see it then because they had shot season one and I was the only person coming on new for season two. So I, you know, got all of the... Um, episodes they were editing to watch and like be caught up to start working on season two and obviously no one knew a pandemic was going to happen but like weirdly they had made the perfect pandemic show that's just like all about taking care of each other and like being kind and loving and forgiveness and like all of these things that we need and maybe didn't even know how much before the moment the show came out hundred percent. And I think there's something that's so interesting. The character of Ted Lasso. So he's like a football coach from Kansas city who then uh, gets hired to be a real football <laughs> coach. And you know, I'm talking, you Brits know what I'm talking about. So he goes over to the UK to uh, coach their uh, football team over there. And it's sort of, you know, this, it seems like, Oh, it's another fish out of water series. And one of the interesting things is that like, he's such an earnest character to the point where like, I've been using, I'm like, what well, I've been like, just Ted Lasso this. <laughs> like, I have been Ted Lassoing things and just like not taking things so personally, not being so wrapped up in like my own ego, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And it's so, what it made me realize is like, it's so rare to see TV about good people, like just like people who are, and not like cheesily good, like he's a real like, you know, human being or whatnot, but he's like just a real like good, earnest person. And like a person. good man. Like, I feel like know? we got into. Especially yeah. after The Sopranos, because that show was so huge, so iconic. This thing of like men being terrible, and we're supposed to like them for it, and we do. But like, it is really nice to be like the reason yeah. we like this man is because he's good. Yes, and what a rarity of just like I haven't seen it, and it's not like I mean, usually if you see that kind of a person, it's very like Leave It to Beaver esque. It's just too picture perfect. Where like he does seem like a real human being, and it's like. It's just he has a paradigm shift, I feel like, where it's like, oh, if I just sort of like approach things like this, or if I just look at things like just slightly into a different direction and just see, try to be be my best, do my best, and give people like space and grace, it just, and the music, like everything just feel, it feels like a hug watching the show. I felt so many feelings and emotions and I was in a bad, it was just because I was in a bad place. So like I was stress crying a lot that week. <laughs> Um, so thank you, Ted Lasso, for, for being that, that warm goodiness. And you get to work on the show. That's amazing. Another reason to love it. Yeah. And I, like, I felt so lucky because I worked on that show basically through quarantine. So the whole time that I was like stuck alone in my apartment every day, I went on Zoom and talked to the people who made that show who are like the kindest, chillest, funniest people so I'm like so lucky to work on that show in a time where otherwise I would have been sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great place and great space to like go in and, and work in. Like, I just feel like they like understand. Oh, my gosh. Like we're Brene Brown Browning this right now. We're going in deep. <laughs> and it's, that lasso. it's just that good. I'm just like there's just certain things where it seems like if this was written in the 90s, he'd just be such like a, you know, Tim Allen machismo type guy. And he's just he's just not like he just. He's just a great guy. And it's hard for me to like sometimes like, you know, 
straight white men sometimes like to like like them or their work or their lead shows but like Ted Lasso he's a cool guy I, I like him yeah someone tweeted at me when I tweeted that people should watch the show um a lady tweeted at me and she was like I don't really want to watch any more shows about cis white men and I was like yeah you do be you and then she came back like a month later it was like well I trust you so I watched Ted Lasso and it's amazing <laughs> Yeah, like even like the two female leads, I was like, oh, they're going to pit them against each other. Not at all. Yeah. Like they're friends and they're of different like age demographics, but they like it's about them supporting each other. And it just like it just keeps going in, in other directions of like I think we just have all been so traumatized through like what TV has put us through the ringer with. Like we've watched some crazy shit like Breaking Bad, The Wire, <laughs> The Ozarks, even How to Get Away with Murder. Like she was a terrible person in that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, one of my favorite lines from that show and now just in general is like rebecca keely wants rebecca to do something difficult and rebecca's like what difference would it make and keely says it would change the way i look at you and just like saying mm -hmm. as a friend like you fucked up and i i want you to be better just for me because i'm your friend and i want you to be better is like such a good i feel like <laughs> these days we have this thing where it's either like and I get it because politics are so crazy and everything's so crazy and polarized right now, whether it's either like, oh my God, I love her. I'm obsessed with her. Or she makes one mistake. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> and we've sort of lost yeah. that thing of like going to your friend and being like, hey, you made a mistake. I'd like for you to fix it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to fix it. I'm not a doormat. I'm not going to just let you treat me however, but like you should fix this and wait and see if they do. And then that growth means maybe we can continue the relationship and there's just like so it's many just, like I said before it's a, just such a rarity to, to see on television um, something else that I thought oh speaking of rarities on television so Ashley and I go way back to UC Santa Cruz and we're preparing for the show and Ashley's like have you seen Deaf You and at first I thought I didn't hear the uh, my hearing's not great like I was like Deaf You no it's like a murder show <laughs> Ashley where are you taking me like no <laughs> Deaf You and it's a you describe the show you tell you tell the kids about the show uh it's like it's so good first of all it is needed we i've never seen a reality yes. tv show with an all deaf cast and the show is mostly signed and people sign at various levels of fluency it's like very real life it's set at gallaudet university in dc which is a deaf university so i was on board because like oh. i took sign language in school i've yeah. always been interested in deaf culture so i was like on board I did not expect. Oh my god! The level of drama that these oh, kids okay. Are the first get. episode ends. I'll just. I'm gonna give you all this little tidbit. The first episode ends, and she signs to the boy that she's talking to, and she's like, "Did you mean to get me pregnant?" Credits, and I was like, "Whoa!" Where? Are, wh <laughs> also, these people—they are the masters of a cliffhanger. Like every episode ends with. <laughs> a gut punch and you're like well i'm not turning and off mind you that girl who signed that she was dating his best friend but then earlier in the episode she was going on a date with another guy and like this isn't me like you know i she's amazing and a wonderful living her best life and i just what i loved about the show is like these these kids are like all the things they're like amazing they're funny they're complex and they're also garbage people just like us like i just i love it was like oh you guys are also garbage people too sometimes like some of them are just terrible and you're like yay 
Well, it reminded me of being in college, which is why I brought it up to you. Um, There's like two or three different interviews where different people are like talking about something that happened in their relationship or that's clearly very upsetting. And they're like, but I don't really have emotions. I'm just numb and shut off from my emotions. I don't care. And it's like, well, you've been talking about it for an hour. (laughs) Yeah. This is (laughs) like like them. Like (laughs) you're totally right. They've like cut it down to like, wow, you're going at this for a long time. Here's the, as much as I remember being that age, just being like, I am so cool. I don't care what happens in this relationship. (laughs) You are so right. Cause at first I just was thinking, I like I was like oh they're just they're so cut off from their they're emotions is it because like they don't have it's not that it's just like all kids think yeah. that they're like you know cut off from it I I just also do like the journeys like I th- all like all the characters the human <laughs> beings on the show are just so fascinating of just like their their backgrounds I'm a real big fan of the uh, queer ladies on the show they're like so their relationship. Cute. And their journey, it's just so multiple black Well, there's multiple black the men. Like, oh, true. There are no black women, or there are no women. Well, I saw one in the background when she... <laughs> yeah, there's like one who shows up at a party, and she's signing, and they don't translate it. And I'm like, I get it. She's not in the cast, <laughs> but I can see her hands. Can we just know what she's talking about? <laughs> can I hear what she has to say, too? You are incredibly right. You're incredibly right. You haven't finished the series. It becomes very relevant. <laughs> it listen. Oh, okay. Woo! <laughs> and then it's so interesting because there's like the clicks. And so there's like the group. There's like and there's two, it's like also those who come for money were able to go to certain schools that had like a sign language cult sign language culture. And so then when they get to this university, there's like some of these kids who are like, I couldn't even imagine who are like they're signing very fast. And some of the other kids who are not as caught up into signing are like kind of left out of it. And then my favorite is the girl. The girl who was like, does she mean to get me pregnant? Who's like living her best life and just like, I get it, girl. Like, dick is great. Go get you some. <laughs> and it's college. This is exactly what she's, she's doing. Exactly what she was doing. Dick 101. Please get an A. <laughs> Midterms are coming up. I, but like, uh, oh, she grew up in one of like, they called it what, like the elites, like yeah. the sign language. But she grew up with them. And it's so funny because like, you also see like how when you get older, sometimes you grow out of a certain group of friendships. And... She, like, was, like, oh, well, like, you know, some of them are, like, the elites. And they were, like, aren't you one of them? And she's, like, "Mm -hmm." and, like, they will be, like, they'll be, like, ragging on one of the other girls. And she's, like, I like, like, she'll be in her little interview. They'll be, like, her friends will be, like, oh, her pictures, like, her videos are so stupid. And she's, like, I like the videos. (laughs) But at that age, you don't know that you can just get up and walk out of that friend group. Like, you're, like, well, I'm stuck with this. No, you're not. Like that's exactly what college is. Like yeah. you're like you you start making those cuts. You start making those cuts. You don't have to be with the same people. So I'm pretty sure I can't like by season two. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen the rest of the season, but I'm like, oh, this friendship's not gonna last. Like her and her old school friend. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it. <laughs> At one point, she like tells her friend a big secret, and it's like really emotional <sighs> for her. And the friend just kind of like shrugs. And then they cut to the interview and she's like, gossip travels really far around here. Yes. So I don't know what she's going to do. I'm like, gossip who she only told you. <laughs> that was your best friend, ride or die. You guys grew up. She, like, yes, I that's a, that's the class cliffhanger. And I was like, it's 1 a.m. and I need to go to bed. <laughs> it was just so 
so clear that you could see on her face when she told her that she was already planning who she was going to tell. She was going to the Rolodex of all the folks she was going to no go to. No of contemplation of doing anything other than that. <sighs> I just so I like glad I hope more more of this because I mean I realize it's like I I grew up watching the real world I love reality television and I just like I don't need to see any more you know well actually I never really did but I don't need to see any more commercials of like these rich ass white house ladies throwing drinks in their faces like like to see some kids in wheelchairs throwing drinks in each other's faces or something like other stories. There's other like trashy people out there that I want to see. Their stories. <laughs> I want to see all the trash. <laughs> it's also what was like so fascinating to me about this show is these kids are so young. They've grown up with reality TV their whole lives. True. Right. So they're not playing the game. A lot of times reality TV casts are like, trying to look good mm. and you cannot look good on a reality tv show they will they will find your shit out and they will put it on That's television i don't know why people keep going on shows thinking i got a bad good. edit oh my god they gave me a bad edit oh <laughs> uh, that footage was there for them to use and there's yeah. a lot of it that's who you are <laughs> so like these kids they're just in the interview being like, I don't like that bitch. Like, they're not trying to hide yes. anything because they know what they signed up yeah. for. It's really interesting. I noticed that, too. I was like, they're being very candid in this interview. They know that this person's going to see it, like, yeah. when it airs. At one point, he even says, he's like, oh, I didn't tell her, but I guess she'll find out when the show airs. Like, <laughs> I, You never hear that sort of meta honesty of people realizing that when they're on the show that this is going to, like, you know, come out. And, like, was that the guy who was, like... His first thing is he signed. He's like, I'm an asshole. And then even when he went home, his dad was like, you're a bit oh, of a, you're that. a bit of an yeah. asshole. And he was just like, that's who I am. And mom's like, nope, that's who he is. We love him. Everybody needs a family that will tell them when they're an asshole. <laughs> my gosh you can only it's true and permission to be it but to be called on it too like mm-hmm. a little bit of both you know well that brought us joy and there was another show that used to bring us joy and it will stop bringing us joy on netflix <laughs> it will glow no more i'm talking about glow yeah ashley how'd this happen you can you do anything you work in tv can you bring it back can you, call you sound somebody? like my dad my dad called me like every week during quarantine to be like tv is bad now i'm like what do you what do you think i could do about it he's like i don't like these live shows i don't want to see celebrities houses i'm like i get it there's nothing i can do about it. <laughs> oh my god like there's a like he must think you've got the seat at the table like <laughs> One Everybody day. in Hollywood gathers around and they're like, okay, what, what, are, we, what are we gonna do about this coronavirus and filming? Yeah, I just that news broke my heart. I will never forget, I was watching last season in Barcelona and it ended and I just couldn't. I was like, oof, can't wait till next. It's been my summer treat for the last four years. I just not, I've not seen anything like Glow. It's just been such a phenomenal show and not a great way to end it. Like, nope. I haven't even seen the last season. Like when Uh, I heard the show got canceled, I was like, oh, that's a shame. It's a good show, but I'm not like a stan. But then there's more tea. Do you know the tea? (gasps) Wait, wait, wait. No, because they I do know they had started filming it. They started filming. They got like the first episode or two Mm -hmm. done. And then the pandemic hit. And then Netflix was like, well, you're not coming back, ladies. Yeah. So there's more tea, which is all of the actresses of color who are in the main cast released a letter together 
which basically after they had shot that one episode in the in-between time when they were off, they sent a letter to their producers being like, you know, we're in this moment where all these protests are happening. We're rethinking how we represent diversity. Mm. And this show, which is true, gets a lot of credit for being a quote unquote diverse show. But a lot of the, or most of the main storylines are about the white characters and they Mm. learn and grow and change. And the characters of color kind of have small stories if they have stories at all. And it's like, if you want to call yourself a diverse show, we should get to have storylines and arcs. And also they were asking them to hire one writer of color in the room because there were none. Oh, no um, way! <laughs> oh, that was, that's dangerous because they were dealing with some really, I mean, when you have a character named the welfare queen and you're trying to have a commentary about how like, ooh, look how racist the 80s was with their lady wrestling, you should probably have someone in the room that could kind of like make sure you're handling it okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they said, um, they sent this letter. It was well received by the producers. They were going to go back and um, make some changes to the script. So they had written the whole season and filmed the first one, but hadn't filmed the rest. So they were going to make changes to the scripts um, to reflect this, you know, open and honest discussion they had. And then the show got canceled. Ew. Yeah. Ew. What? Ew, like what a not way to like approach and handle, especially if you're like, we're a show and we handle these issues and conversations and we're Netflix, like we handle these issues and conversations and we're like, hey, can we talk about this? Or like canceled. Yeah. That's how how canceling works. We cancel you, Netflix. You don't cancel us. Netflix loves to cancel a show. Like they love to cancel a show. Maybe it just got canceled, but it's weird. Like normally the show would get canceled before you wrote the season and shot an episode it's very weird timing yeah yeah the whole situation makes me uneasy especially because like i do appreciate that it does put such a diverse group of women on camera there's like 12 like it's a huge group of women and i just i am like love if there's a show and it's it's hard for me to watch anything that's all dudes, like I just mm-hmm. can't. I need multiple women, make them complex and doing great things, and then I'm in, right? So this show's like up my alley, and like it just I and like I will like don't watch because you're just gonna be so the way season three ends, you're gonna be so bitter and flipping tables because that's what I literally was doing when I read that news. It was in the same, and then I watched Ted Lasso and I felt better about no. life. Um, that's so frustrating. And that's the thing is that like Netflix reminds me sometimes like when I was a kid, I would never get too attached to a show when it was on Fox because like Fox yeah. used to cancel shows like left and right. And I got burned so many times with like like with Fastlane with Bill Bellamy and Tiffany Amber Thiessen <laughs> directed by McGee or Firefly. Like it just oh, worked fi- with the lovely Gina Torres on a Black Lady Sketch Company. Okay. I was, I'm time to bust it open. Okay. I got so many questions. (laughs) Are you now officially (laughs) one degree of separation from Beyonce or zero? Have you met the, okay, great. So zero. I've met Beyonce. The answer to that is zero. (laughs) First of all, I like how you do that. Like Ashley's life is so wonderful and amazing. And I love it. Vicariously living through, she had to, you can't see this, but she, you know, like, when you have to think about something, you'll look up to the left because that's where your memory is. That's what Ashley just did. So Bay, she couldn't remember. Bay's a longtime listener of the show. And she'll be like, that's okay, Ashley. 
Well, no, first I was thinking what? Oh, okay, oh because yeah. of Kelly Rowland. I was mm-hmm. trying to think why you were saying one degree. And I was <laughs> like, it like, doesn't matter. Because the I'm math <laughs> uh, matter. Next question. I, I'm one degree of separation, but I pretty much now I'm one degree of separation from anybody who's black in Hollywood because I co-host the Black Panther Red Carpet that like I'm either zero or one at that thing because yes. it was just like family reunion of Hollywood. Yeah, and that's what Black Lady Sketch Show was also. It was very true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, Angela. Oh, yeah, I remember interviewing her. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, other question. <laughs> Out of any of your characters, any of your reoccurring characters, is there anyone or any of the characters that you've played on the show or written on the show? <laughs> is there anyone that like a like I'm I'm Hollywood producer man? I'm like Ashley. Here's all the money you need to make a spinoff movie or TV show of one of your characters. Who would it be? Oh, I feel like it's obvious. Who would you pick? I would pick if I got to choose because it is my money and I am going to choose it. It's Trinity. <laughs> and that is how Hollywood works. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the most uh, cinematic character. Can you walk sure. the kids through? I love Trinity so much. And did you, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you, you used to watch, you watched Alias, right? Okay. Oh, cool. yes. Do you yes, feel like I Alias do. Life? I do. That's so funny. I was like, yeah, I feel oh, like we've had this conversation fan. before, and I'm like, oh my God, this is, I feel like Ashley's getting to like live out her Alias dreams right now. Yes. And I mean, we're going to talk writing later, but if you are an aspiring television writer, go back and watch that Alias pilot. That is a mm. good first episode of a tv show and they set up the world so well so well fucking love again women who are kicking ass like you can sign me up like i gobble that shit up um tell everybody about if they haven't met trinity tell walk them through trinity yeah so trinity is the invisible spy and um basically the premise of the sketch is like she's so regular looking that people just kind of ignore her and so it makes her a really good spy and just like based on my real life as a regular looking bitch like people literally walk into me in the street all the time like people just are constantly ignoring me or assuming that I work where we are like if I'm at Trader Joe's or Target people like you must work here um and so I always thought I would be a really good spy because spies in movies are always so gorgeous it's always like Angelina Jolie or someone and I'm like if Angelina <laughs> Jolie walks in the room I'm watching what she's doing that bitch is not you're like oh look at that anywhere. hot lady over like, there and she's like trying to tiptoe by yeah. she's like oh 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 it's oh, stilettos you're trying to do a scam in stilettos looking like Angelina Jolie I see you oh, hey girl what you doing oh you are you stealing secrets <laughs> oh, okay I won't say anything yeah. I won't <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like it's a joke but it's also like uh i see you to my fellow regular looking women who are out here just being ignored it can also be a superpower oh my god i love it so much it's definitely one of my favorite reoccurring sketches and two i love that the one of my favorite ones is that you got to work with uh asia and you guys went to school together yeah asia naomi king yeah yeah we grew oh up my together. gosh so amazing like that was that, yes it's so funny. So I wrote that sketch. There's definitely like an undertone of Trinity is falling in love with that yeah. character and like weirdly confused. And then they cast my sister. Like we've been friends since second grade. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to do here. This is, I can't, I don't They're like, Hey, you guys know each other, right? Comfortable. Great. Make out. Is she so, so good. She does a lot of drama. She was like, I don't know how to do a sketch. And I was like, just 
do it like yes. you would do it on How to Get Away with Murder, and it's so funny. She's 100%. so good in it. Actually, I like that's like, and, like dramatic actors can be some of the most talented comedic actors because it's about doing it just so like it's so it's the heightened reality of it, but it's so life and death. Like the stakes are even higher in comedy, even though you're like, but you're talking about yeah. something so silly, but the stakes are so high. Like Leslie Nielsen is such a great, he was such an amazing comedic actor, the naked gun movies, mm-hmm. except cut the OJ Simpson parts out, or I don't know. Um, <laughs> but like he started off in drama. And the reason why he is so good in that movie is because he's playing it as if he was doing like a real, like crime drama series, you know? Yeah, it's like the circumstances are ridiculous. So if you just play the yeah. circumstances, it will be funny. Oh, okay, Second City. Okay, we doing some get the get the pen and paper <laughs> out, folks. Class is in session. <laughs> Professor Black yeah. is here. <laughs> okay. Um, how I feel like this is I feel like, and you probably have been asked this question so many times, but like I think. For all the for black folks in general, they can't hear this enough, and especially the black women who are listening, they can't hear this enough. Like, how is this? You've worked on many a project. How is the experience of getting to work on this show, featuring, starring with black women, writing it? Like, how is this experience? And did you ever think you'd be in something like this? No. Um, it's amazing, and like you mentioned, the Second City. I started acting and writing at the second city and I was trying to act before that like I acted in high school and in college and we did a show um, I recall (laughs) we did a show where I'm sure I was the third lead I was the third lead in every show like I was never (laughs) I never like got the big part and I was just like oh maybe this isn't for me and then when I started doing sketch I just discovered this way of working where like I can write for myself. Mm. I can choose to engage with stereotype Mm. or not, or make fun of it or ignore it. I can choose to play the most gorgeous, sexy woman in the world or a tiny grandma or like whatever you can be, whatever, especially on stage with sketch, no costumes, no props, no sets, use your imagination. And it's just the writing that tells you what the world is. And I tell you what the world is and how I choose Mm -hmm. to fit into it. And that just became to me like the art form that I fell in love with. And on television, when you see sketch comedy, black women are often the sidekick or off to the side or setting up jokes for the men, women in general, but black women in particular, or the butt right. of the or joke. Or they get just like one line and they're like, and, no, he didn't. And everyone's like, oh, I love a sassy yeah. black woman. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, it's funny because she's black. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and so to get to do a sketch show where that wasn't the case, where it's all black women writers, producers, director, actors, um, and then to actually get to do what sketch is, which is to actually different play so many different characters, to get to be the spy, to be the girl who's getting proposed mm. to, to oh, be um, the like mom who's mad at her daughter, like all those different kinds of characters. None of them are the butt of the joke, but it's very different types of black womanhood. Mm. And um, hopefully if a black woman watches a show, she will find like at least one character that she's like, oh, that's like me or that's like my cousin. Or, like, There's one character I play that's probably the shortest sketch in the show that's like, all my family's yeah. favorite because she's like so hood and I am not. And they're like, we finally saw you be ghetto. We've been waiting your whole life. And they love it. 
it's her favorite. But because there's just like so many different characters, you can be like that character I saw for 30 seconds is my favorite. Um, and so the, to be able to actually do that and not be a side character or just going, oh no, she yes. did, but like really get to play all those different characters and to get to write them as well. Um, it's amazing. And it's to me, that was the thing I always wanted to do that I thought wasn't possible. One thing that too, that I love, like it, it's, it, I haven't, I feel like we had like, well, there's uh, Key and Peel, but I was thinking about like the legacy of like black spe- sketch comedy in particular. It's, there's always a space and need for that. And, but this is the first time, like, what I appreciate with you all is I know I'm in good hands. Like, I know I'm not going to be a, like, there's not going to be some, like, home of, I trust y'all. Like, I think that women just have a more open heart and space. So I know there's not going to be, like, some homophobic joke. It's, like, it's like why I like to listen to, like, female MCs and, like, male MCs. And I'm like, oh, I mm-hmm. don't know. Am I going to get offended? Like. Are you going to endorse Trump? Yeah. Next like, or, <laughs> yeah. If they're going to drop, like, the F word here or there or something. But, like, with women, I'm just like, all right, let's go ahead. You be badass. All right, let's go. And I just know I'm in, like, a safe space. Like, oh, my God. And I felt I felt seeing the basic ball. I'm dead. I'm dead. Oh, God. The basic ball is like my favorite where it's like a ball. But everyone's just so basic. And it's... I wanted a ball. I could win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There was somebody. One of the characters was like, depre- oh, you were the awkward one, right? Oh, Ashley. Oh, my God awkward it was so good oh she's so awkward and then there was one that was like she was like depressed and the death drop was her just kind of falling like sadly to the ground (laughs) into a nap who else is gonna do things like that um oh i do have a question too i noticed this is a theme in sketch and back when you know, in my UC, went to a, com- a different school. I went to uh, UCB, Ashley, um, which I don't think ex- I don't think exists anymore. Uh, pandemic took it out. <laughs> Nothing does. Yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> it's so sad. I feel like I was one of the last people to finish the full program at UCB before it like, yeah, still works on my resume. Um, sometimes sketch goes to such a dark place where there's just like it's scary, or there's murder, or there's death. <laughs> why does that happen what's your theory um oh that's really funny because uh so there's a thing of heightening Mm. right so every sketch kind of starts in maybe not normal but a recognizable reality like there's a sketch on black lady sketch where it's two ladies working in the office and one of them is always (laughs) late because she doesn't it takes her a long time to to do her her makeup so that's yeah that's a very normal we all know that But then you have what's called heightening. So every beat of the sketch has to get funnier or more intense or more emotional or crazier. And so sometimes when you've gone so far, like murder is the only thing. (laughs) And so it just always sort of ends up there. There was a sketch where they were all doing like shrooms and drugs or whatnot. And one of the girls was going to call 911 and she was like, don't, we're black, like don't. And every time she tried to, she would like then like tie them up. Um, and then I'm pretty sure in the end she ends up killing everybody in the cabin because yeah. yeah. And then it turns out to be her political campaign ad for uh, <laughs> she's tough on drugs. Yep. <laughs> oh my god, so great! I last question for ya. 
when what is like what's one of your dream projects that you have that you could like that's nowhere on the table so i know maybe you have some things that are on the table and you're like <laughs> mm, I can't talk about that what's a dream project that's like not on the table like what is like a dream of yours like that's still out there that you envision dreaming or do, doing if, if it's a show or if it's a part you've always you want to play or create i always wanted to star in a rom-com i love rom-coms they kind of dropped off, but I feel like they're coming back. And there's been a trend recently of, and I'm making air quotes for the people who can't see, plus size actresses in rom-coms, but sometimes they're like a size 10 and they're plus size. That's one of the air quotes. Um, who like, she hits her head or she gets amnesia and now she's in a right. rom-com. And I, or there's a lot of trends of like plus size actresses in movies and TV where the whole thing is like, I wish I could date, but I'm mm -hmm. fat. And there's like a cake in the fridge that's just open and she reaches in the fridge and eats the frosting off the cake. And like, I don't know what fat people these people know, but if you like cake, you put it in a box and you keep it covered. So it's nice. Um, <laughs> oh I don't know who's God. out here with naked cakes in their fridge, but it's no. not me. Um, so I would love to do a rom-com that just like, I don't have to hit my head or get amnesia. And also it's not about how sad my life is because of my size, but it just really oh, is she's a human. me she's a human. doing she's a rom-com. Yeah. Being a human. And, and yeah. then, and then she'll life. have her, like, you know, if you're the lead, then usually you'll have to have the fuck up and you'll have to be the one running through the airport, you know? And then we get to see that you can also, yeah. I'm just on this track of like, everybody's a garbage person so you get to have your moment of being a garbage person and <laughs> and i love that's also what's fun about doing couch. i love playing garbage people and when there's only one black woman oh, on the show no, you can't make her garbage you do it then you're saying all black women are garbage that's why on black lady discussion when there's 200 black women characters on the show now some of them can yeah. be garbage and then we get Listen to have fun. Up, white writers if you want to have a garbage black lady on your show make sure there's more than one and then you can do it <laughs> then you can do that have a minimum of four <laughs> black ladies and then two of them can be garbage <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh my god oh is there i feel like i could google this but you know because you're on the inner circle <laughs> i feel it, it, somebody at the top of hbo black because is that what's going on because there's a lot i'm tuning in every there's always some sort of black programming for myself i get to laugh or i get to explore comic books or supernatural stuff between like the watchmen black lady sketch comedy show Easter ray like lovecraft country like is it Hey, Blacks over there. Is that what HBO <laughs> Well, I mean, if you also look the past couple of years, HBO leads in Emmy nominations and wins. Euphoria. And I think, yes, I think they figured out for some reason. <laughs> so they put out these studies every yeah. year. Uh, UCLA does one. USC does one. Gina Davis Institute Gina does Davis. one. Gina Davis. And every year. Gina yeah. Davis, Gina Davis? Yeah, she has like a institute that studies gender I, and film. Why am film. I surprised? She's incredibly intelligent. <laughs> she showed us, hey, we could have a female president. And then we're like, mm -hmm, not going to listen. But anyways. <laughs> um, but they, they put out these studies every year. And every year they find the closer the diversity of like the cast and behind the scenes of a show is to the diversity of the country. So that's like about 50% female, 13% black, you know, whatever, whatever, the more ratings or money that thing will make. 
That has been the case for years. There have been studies showing that for years. And then the studios, they pick up that study, they read it, they crumble it up. <laughs> Wait, they the what? They were like, we don't need that much money. <laughs> All right, Ashley, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump back into your corner. And your it's the Ashley Black Institute. Get ready, folks. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right. It's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Wadiway, the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film industry. It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Ashley Black Institute, ba, 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 ba. you can do it. I think I just stole a bit. Oh, the people miss the great dance that went with the jingle. This is always my go-to. It's always just a little bit of shoulders. <laughs> oh, we'll release some video clips. Don't worry. The kids. That's will, all you need. This. What is this? Is this? Well, now with the back and forth, you look like a video game. I do. I would call this the typewriter. This is, ooh, y'all, we used to do the dance with the typewriter. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Well, we're really excited about your corner. Uh, You're going to teach the kids. Yeah, so during... This pandemic, you know, people either have more free time or their time is different. And people reached out to me on Twitter and like my friends have sent emails. And so many people have said to me that they want to start writing now because of this time. I think maybe people are more introspective. I don't know. And so I thought like, well, let's talk about the frequently asked questions on how to start writing. Because for me, when I, you know, as you know, started as an actor, When I started writing, so many things opened up for me and I taught writing for a really long time and I would watch my students like find their voice. Many of them are never going to be a professional writer, but they just like, you find out things about yourself and you kind of grow your confidence 
And so, you know, it seems like this is a time where a lot of people are doing that. So let's talk about it. Stop breaking bread. Stop making yeah. <laughs> bread and start writing. <laughs> or you could do both. Right but, while you the know, bread is baking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because you need something to do. Bread. Actually, I will say that is one of my tricks. Sometimes I'll like start, like put something in the oven or order Postmates and be like, I'm going to work for this 45 minutes. <laughs> Ooh, okay. And smart. leads perfectly into the first question. So one of the most frequently asked questions that I get from people is how do you not lose steam halfway through when you're writing something? I think a really common experience is people are like, I'm going to write a movie. And they sit down and they like write three scenes. And then those three scenes live on their computer for the rest of their life. And then maybe you do that like five more times and you never have a movie. <laughs> Oh my God, I still have a movie from back when I was in the seventh grade. I was obsessed. With, it's on a floppy disk. I, <laughs> it was a slasher film. It was going to be a vehicle for Sarah Michelle Geller because I was so tired of her being killed in all these movies. It was called A Killing Game. It was like a bunch of kids who got together and Monica was going to be in it too. I, I'd you know, casted it all the time. Like you did all the casting, characters. but you did Anyways, by the script. <laughs> No, I did. I got half. And I wrote a part for me. I got halfway through it, and then I just couldn't figure mm-hmm. out how to get to the end, and I just stopped. And then I also wrote like so inspired by Easter Ray, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna write like my own sort of like insecure, but it's like you know, gay and black. And then I wrote half of the pilot, and then I. Stopped. All right. So how did you start writing? You start writing scene one. Yeah. Uh yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what, what a did. lot of people do, oh, and. It all- and- Oh, I have another project. I'm sorry. I have a list. You're right. You're. I, is this just my writer's intervention? Oh, I've this been going through your computer. Feeling a little targeted. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm guilty. Um, so I think what a lot of people do is they start writing scene one because they're like, when you watch a movie, that's the beginning of the movie. But that's actually not the beginning of a writing project. Um, the beginning of a writing project mm. is an outline. Um, and so that thing where you get like 10 scenes in and you're like, I don't know what happens next. And then you've written 10 scenes. You're tired. You don't want to keep going. Um, yeah. They all die. Can I just do that? Can I have that moment in an outline? You have, you've written like two pages at that point and like you can, it's easier to keep going. So, um, what I like to do is go from very, very general to very specific. So a lot of times, like the first thing you write would be just like a very general description of what you want to write. Like, this is a story about a group of teenagers who are fighting a monster, whatever that initial idea was for you, right? And that might be a couple sentences or a paragraph. And then you could expand that into a beat sheet, which is basically like, What I like to do is everything that's in my head, I want to put down on paper, especially because I'm often switching back and forth from different projects. So I don't want to possibly forget something and lose it. So anything I have goes down on paper and there's going to be holes. So in our, this fictional idea of like a group of kids fighting a monster, I may know at the beginning, you know, they're going to high school and everything's normal. And then at some point a monster comes and I may know what that looks like visually And then um, maybe there's also a love story and I know what the beats of that might be. Um, I mean, it's a high school movie, so she's a girl with glasses and he doesn't like her and she takes the glasses off. You know what I mean? Like these are all elements of things and you want to get them all down in paper and like kind of get them in order and then see where the big holes are. If it's like, okay, the monster came 
and now this love story and then I know the monster is going to get defeated well obviously they have to fight at some point so where does that go and then from that Mm. very general beat sheet again we're getting more specific right then we are going to write an outline and outline what is going to happen in every scene and then that's where you'll start to notice what's Mm. missing or when you want to write something you're like oh I didn't really set that up I have to go back But when you're writing on the outline, what happens in the scene, it's like a couple of sentences. So you sort of fight that fatigue that you get when you like write a bunch of scenes and you don't know where to go. If what you've written is like a bunch of paragraphs and you don't know where to go, you know, put it down, come back the next day. But I don't start writing. And I know other writers do this differently. I'm saying me personally, I don't start writing. Yes. This is the Ashley (laughs) Black Institute. So y'all let Gina Davis, this is your institute. It's not what you do. I don't start writing until I know the end. So that way there's no chance of me getting midway through and not knowing Um, how to end it. Can I just ask a few other writers out there to take the Ashley Black <laughs> Institute? Because I feel like some shows be writing well, and we don't know where we're going. Once, once you belong to a network, you don't. You're not always in charge of that, unfortunately. Oh, that's okay. So giving us that I'm sure a lot scoop. of people I'm wish sorry, they had that option. Like, how did how did we end up over here though? Like sometimes you watch the show, you know, and it just feels like. Well, and I feel like that's why more like, and more shows have been like, we're doing. doing four seasons and cutting it off yeah. instead of getting to that point where like, you knew you had four seasons inside of you and the network was like, do you want some more money? You said yes. And now here we are. Lost this season True. five. <laughs> and it's, I was thinking that I didn't want to say it. Cause I, Still, such a diehard fan that I tried to be like, well, well I meant literally lost, but purgatory. also yes. And they have, <laughs> oh. they, but they have talked about how that's exactly what happened to them. Like they, the show was huge, and the network was like, "You're doing more seasons," and they had to figure it out. Yeah, so having to like stretch that out there, mm, man. But yeah, man. when you're writing for yourself so and no one is telling you what to do, um, take as long as you need to to figure out what the end is before you start writing. What happens? I will. I did write an outline once for this book that I didn't. You made me realize how many writing <laughs> this projects. This is becoming I more painful for you than and, we thought it was uh, going to be. I was like, "This will be <laughs> fine." I'm like, "Oh my god!" There's so many times that I'm. I'm going to write a novel, and so I was working <laughs> on a novel. And I wrote out an outline. I was like, "This book is." I was inspired by The Alchemist by uh, Paolo. <laughs> But it's very, Opus says, read the book, read the book. And so does Brene Brown. Um, anyways, I wrote the outline and then I was like, mm-hmm. And then I never went back. Yeah, I think it's like, then it probably wasn't finished. Um, like uh... for me, aside from money, what brings me back to writing project? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to pay rent. Uh Is that like emotional connection to the story? And like, I want to get these characters on this journey or I want to get to this Uh, big emotional moment I know is coming or whatever. And so I'm always getting more ideas of like, oh, this little thing here will make that even more important later, you know, whatever. And so that's the excitement that keeps you writing. So if you're not feeling that excitement, it's like, maybe there's some emotional component that hasn't been laid into into that story yet. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Like I had I knew some I think some things like the not all the bridges were connected for me to be able to just dive in and fully like write it. Or like I 
like there was some fear. Like I was like, well, I don't like I knew it, but I feel like I wasn't like committed yet to like, yes, let's the story. It's got to be told now, as <laughs> Kesha once said before she wrote a song. And see, she didn't after. stop until she got to the end of the song. <laughs> You're right. You are so right. What would Kesha do? She'd write that story. She was like, before she was drunk and passed out, she wrote it. Uh, This leads into the next one, because probably the question I get most often is how to push past writer's block. Um, And I have, again, this is my theory. It's not real or from a book or anything. But I think that when people are feeling writer's block, it's because you're judging your own writing. And you're feeling like this is not good enough and that makes you not want to write. And so I think a breakthrough that I had around that was realizing, you know, like at a newspaper, a writer and an editor are two different people. Those are two different jobs. The writer writes the article. When they're finished, they give it to the editor. The editor edits the article. And I think what we're experiencing as writer's block is trying to let the writer and editor work at the same time and they can't they're two different jobs Mm. so I think if you're experiencing writer's block give yourself permission to let the editor go it's a different job it's not your job right now you're going to put on that hat later and just write your first draft and get everything down that's in your head even the things that don't quite make sense like a lot of times things come to me in feelings and images and it's not necessarily a scene yet but I know it's going to feel like this write it all down. And then if you can, I think let it sit for a couple of days, even a week, the longer you let it sit, the better it'll look to you (laughs) when you look at it again. It's like when you look at pictures (laughs) of yourself five years ago, you're like, I was fine five years ago, but at the time you hated yourself. (laughs) But with some distance, you're like, oh, she was cute. She didn't even know. (laughs) And I feel like the same thing happens with scripts. Like if you just put it away for a couple of days, then come back and read it. It's never as bad as you thought it was. And then you start editing. And so you can kind of release your fear of it being bad because you know that you're going to edit it later. You're not going to write that first draft and then just like email it out to someone. (laughs) (laughs) There it goes. You better not. Uh, Is that like rule number three? You better not. Don't you send that. It's not ready. I think like I've heard that before. This is so funny. Oh my God, Ashley, like, so I, it's so funny. You're reminding me of all the things that I remember in <laughs> writing school back at like UC Santa Cruz. Like I was a writing TA person or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I was a something in charge of writing. With, <laughs> But write a bad first draft was like one of the mottos. It was like, yeah, just you get it out. And like, I'm such a drafter. It's so weird that I've been so hesitant towards this process. Like, cause I am a drafter. Like I know, like I just need to, it's going to be <laughs> trash and garbage, but at least like, the ideas and stuff will be there. And then I'll look back at it and be like, oh, okay, this isn't as bad. It just needs, it's like putting a puzzle together and like cutting and editing and adding and da 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 da. Like, yeah. Sounds like I just been making excuses. <laughs> it for is too. Yeah. I would say I also got better at it working in television professionally because you always have, well, not always, as long as you're not the boss, you always have a boss who is going to rewrite you. That's part of the process. It's not like shameful mm. that your script got rewritten, it is going to happen. Right. And so I really became very comforted by that. And I would take wild swings knowing that there's a safety net of somebody else. And truly like my boss at Full Frontal would be like, Ashley, (laughs) we can't say this on TV. I'm like, maybe you can't, but it's funny. And it's your job to erase it, (laughs) not mine. (laughs) 
Let's put it out there. Maybe, hey, you would test in the water. You're a raptor test in the fence. <laughs> Those things are great and they're iconic. Um, so eventually later on in your career, when you are the boss, you're not going to have that person. But by that time, hopefully you gain enough experience to be that person for yourself and for the other writers. And then when you're starting out, you do have, you have to be that person for yourself, but just like tell yourself, my editor is going to handle this later. <laughs> yeah, mm, that's their job. Let me just get the initial draft ideas out. That makes sense. Um, another one, this one's really specific, but I think it may maybe has applications to other forms of writing, but people always ask about like how to do a late night packet. Um, and I'll explain what that is. Like if you want to write for a late night show, um, they basically send out these packets saying like, these are the types of things we normally do on our show, monologue jokes, sketches, um, fake commercials, whatever it is. And so you would write samples of all of those things and send it in as like your job application. And um, people are always, it's always like, show us your voice, but you're writing for a host, you're writing for Samantha B or Jimmy Kimmel or whatever. So people are always like, how do I show my voice? when I'm writing for this other person. And I feel like that's the same thing with scripted television as well. If you're writing an episode of Friends, it has to be an episode of Friends. They're not gonna like suddenly meet a bunch of black people and <laughs> like, that's not what Friends is. That's that's you writing for living single, okay? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> we know who these characters are. We know what world they live in. It needs to look like an episode yeah. of this TV show. And I feel like that's sometimes where writers go wrong is they'll just write a different TV show and then be like, why didn't I get the job? And it's like, well, because the job is to write this show. So how do you show your voice within an existing format? And I think what it has been for me and has worked for me is that the show tells you what the form of it is and you tell the show who you are through the content. So like if I'm writing for Samantha B, but I'm writing jokes that Sam would say that sound like her voice, the words she uses, her cadence, um, that she's a white woman, I would read packets and it would clearly be like a man who forgot to say that he's a woman and a lot, like she's a woman. <laughs> oh my God. Um, she doesn't say they about women, women yeah. are we for yeah. her. Um, uh so it's like, it's in her voice. It sounds like something she would say, but it's about a news story that's important to me that it's sort of, it's in line with her politics. Hopefully it's something that if she knew about it, she would care about it, but maybe she doesn't because we're two different people and we have different life experiences. And so I'm showing her who I am in what I choose to write about. Bless this mess takes place on a farm. They are farmers.
rewrite that like time traveling piece where like I the premise is like uh me and my lover who is Latinx accidentally he discovers he knows magic he's like his family used to be a bruja and I uh, we actually try time travel back to like slave times and uh-oh but it's like a dark comedy <laughs> That's going to do it for us. Big thanks once again to Ashley Nicole Black for being uh, back here on the show. It's so great to have you. You've inspired me on so many different ways. And a big thank you to our uh, marketing social media manager. The title changes every episode to Sam Jackson and our wonderful editor, Sarah Brown. Big thank you to all of our Maximum Fun members who've been supporting the show and all the folks at Maximum Fun and all of you all who are our listeners, our corner kids. Thank you so much for listening to Minority Corner because together we're the majority. Love y'all. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Stop that music. Stop that music. <laughs> Vote. Vote, vote, vote. Get your mama to vote. Get your daddy to vote. Get your uh, neighbor to vote. Vote, vote, vote. Put the ballots in the box. Um, let's all just make sure we're all done with voting by this week. And then we'll just uh, turn the tides and make sure then everybody else is voting. All right? Okay. All right. Play that music again. Thank you all for listening to Minority Corner because together we're the majority. I love y'all. Have a good week. Be safe. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.